My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. I'm not sort of intoxicated by money. I'm intoxicated by freedom and choice. I mean, that if there's any driver for me, it's, it's that. This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyron Shum and in this episode, we're back with Mike Mortlock, the Managing Director of MCG Quantity Surveyors. You'll be able to hear his best quantity surveying tips, his biggest reason for delving into property and starting his business, how you can save money by utilizing some effective tax strategies and much, much more. Mortlock goes on to share the moment where everything just clicked for him. I think in some ways I'm still waiting for things to click in place for me but I haven't had any like real sort of Rubicon moments or transformative sort of things happen but one thing that I thought about um, was when I, I first discovered that there was a whole world out there that I didn't realise. Now that kind of sounds obvious coming from country New South Wales, right? You know, like one day I'm going to leave this town. Um, but when I was doing inspections, like doing tax depreciation inspections and going and looking at, you know, some expensive apartments in Sydney, I, I kind of I came to the, uh, the conclusion that when you grow up, everyone is kind of like you, like your parents' friends are sort of like the first people you see outside of your family. Uh, or your friends and their parents, they're all kind of earning the same amount of money. They all live in similar style houses. There's not a lot of diversity, um, certainly in the country. So I kind of thought that that's what everything was like. And then I got an insight, you know, walking into these places that were worth $10 million and I'd never seen a property, you know, uh, until I started inspecting stuff, I'd probably never walked into a million dollar place before. And then walking into $10 million places and realizing like, you know what, I I would love to live in their garage. You know, like that was just the garage. You know, like I would just be like that. I, I would know I'd made, I'd made it. I'd ring up my mates like, come around. You got to see like this, this kid's, you know, doing good. Um, and it just kind of made me realize that there's, there's people out there like that are just achieving mass success financially. And it wasn't so much that I became sort of transfixed by that. I just wanted to see like what the opportunities were. Um, and, and like I was trying to say before, I'm not sort of intoxicated by money. I'm intoxicated by freedom and choice. I mean, that if there's any driver for me, it's, it's that. And, and, you know, 
money kind of has to be a calculation to get to that and it can appear like that's the actual goal but for, for me it's just like wake up and today I feel like a baguette you know <laughs> I'm off to Paris or today I think like I really want to be a hang glider you know so he can go and do that I totally agree I think that's what we we don't realize or we kind of get mixed up all in this world because you know there's so much out there there's so many people posting on Facebook and social media sharing that you know this is the life and so forth but at the end of the day you know it's not necessarily about the money just as you said it's the freedom it's the choices it's the lifestyle things that you can actually get to do with whatever you make for the money and at the end of the day money is just a byproduct it, it helps us be able to transact and that's it you know but if you can actually focus on what it is in terms of the goals whatever you want to do in your life then that's really you know what you've got to do is just figure out how to actually do all that in the background because once it's been set and done you've reached that goal basically it just sits there and just happens in the background you won't even notice that's there Exactly. And and like I encourage people to come to the view that social media is is a lie. You know, like people put their curated best lives, right? Like I've got pictures on my Instagram of me duct taping one of my favorite shoes up because I didn't want to throw it in the bin. You know, like I'm trying to buck the trend and show, well, this is like my life is like. It's not glamorous at all. And I posit that maybe bits of your life aren't either. Let's see that. I want to see what's real, you know, like sick of all these attractive people with their arms sort of folded in front of a Learjet going, you know, this is my Wednesday. I'm like, come on. Don't you just wake up and hate yourself sometimes? <laughs> Maybe that's just me. No, it's true. Social media has turned so much around, especially Facebook. There's a lot of impact in that, you know, making it look like as though it's glamorous and stuff. And then when you read it, you go, oh, come on. You know, that's not real. You just it just makes you feel even worse because you just either want that or you you just think oh, can't have it at this point in time. I worry about kids that aren't sort of uh, developed enough to understand that, and it feeds into this kind of consumerism and the planned obsolescence of things like iPhones. You know that stuff doesn't last, and you've got to get the next thing, otherwise you know you're going to get crap for it at school. They do not make anything as good as they used to. Like devices die after about two or three years or so and they force you to do an upgrade there's a reason why they do that because otherwise you won't spend more money and same thing washing machines and all the white good appliances after a period of time they just die and then you have to go and buy it whereas when i had my one else like 20 years ago it's lasted for 20 years i'm like why do they make them like the way they are soon our toasters will be bluetooth and i think like as you go to the checkout and you go to place your bluetooth toaster on on the counter just maybe pause for a second and go why is my toaster bluetooth what is happening to the world mortlock goes on to talk about his portfolio and what he's currently planning to do i'm envious of a lot of the young guys that you see around and you probably have interviewed a lot of them that are you know getting to their you know early 20s with six, ten properties or five million dollars of equity or whatever. I think some of that is also a little bit of a of, of a beat up. And and I, I've sort of pushed against the number of properties as being a goal. Like because like do you want ten properties in West Wyalong or Mossman? You know, like they're not the same, right? No disrespect to to the, my brothers and sisters in West Wyalong. Um, but yeah, like I started pretty pretty late. Um, I kind of subscribe to the, um, I guess, the growth philosophy to begin with and sort of realize, well, yeah, that's cool, but you're very, very quickly 
run out of capacity if you're chipping into your pocket each day. Um, and, you know, like I guess I, I've always earned um, maybe a little bit more than average but not by a tremendous amount. Like I don't have the capacity to just keep chipping into the pocket. So, so from there I kind of... Um, went to the to the cash flow side but more from a, a balance and one of the biggest sort of things that I, I've learned and there's some great people that I've spoken to that um, probably have, have coined this better than I have but it's like fitting the, the property to the portfolio so like at any stage in the portfolio you're a bit too negatively geared so you need something that's a bit more cash flow or you're heading to the end of your portfolio so you want to kind of sell down and focus on the commercial assets that are higher yielding and that sort of stuff. So um, my wife and I made a decision that we weren't sort of going to share the, you know, the numbers and the you know, net wealth position and that sort of stuff. But like I'm, I'm very, I have a, a modest portfolio certainly in the growth phase and will still be for I would imagine, you know, another 10 or 20 years, uh, I'm getting old, but I'm, you know, still, still got a bit more work to do. I've aged terribly, but I'm, I'm only 38. I don't think that's terribly old. Um, so, so yeah, like, uh, and, and to be honest, the focus for me personally has been much more on the business. So we, we've, I've wanted to be careful to to not throw all the eggs in one basket um, and diversify. So in in many ways, I'm building the business as an asset, not with the idea that I will that I will sell it or anything like that. But it has a value, uh, and then there's the property as well, and they're two very sort of different things. And and one can help with the other. Certainly, the returns in the business were better than I could have achieved. Um, with property just because we've had such great growth since we started. Um, we managed to get on the Fast 100 list a couple of years ago with an average growth over four years of 41%. So there wasn't really an opportunity for me, at least with my um, rudimentary property investing skill set, to go and get a return like that. So I've definitely sort of focused more on that to the detriment of, of property, but it, it'll enable me down the, the time to be able to purchase property outside of the equity growth. So, I mean, that's that's a great thing with, with building a business. Um, we're still in the growth phase, so it's not a, a hugely profitable enterprise because we're thinking more into the future, but that's certainly the goal where I won't have to wait till revalue to buy a property. I could just be buying properties from, from the dividend so yeah that's that's where i'm at at the moment that's fantastic and i think the great thing is that you still are in touch with property because you are actually involved in that industry as well so you do get to see and keep up to date what's happening in the market so therefore you know jumping back into buying more property or investing to more property is going to be very very easy for you to do anyway which is a great thing because you know you want that complementary skill set especially in your industry too and, and of course interviewing people on 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 my podcast about um you know, buyers agents and and development experts and that sort of stuff. I'm constantly sharpening sharpening the the tip of the spear just by staying in touch with those people. Of course, we have relationships with referrers as well. Um, the whole a whole another half of our business is really just working with developers and development projects, doing feasibility and progress claims for development. So we're seeing things pre-construction and coming out of the ground to completion, and then post um, post construction with the tax side of things so we're, we're plugged in pretty well to that and and there'll certainly be some opportunities and some connections and joint venture things that that will hopefully fall in the lap 
um, at a point in time where I've got the cash to make the to the make the best uh, take the best advantage of it. Monklock goes on to share some things quantity surveyors can do for people to help them with investing in property. There's really two sides. I would say, and in our business, certainly there's the traditional construction cost estimating. So that would be how much is it going to cost me to build X, Y, Z, right? So you might do that because you want to do a major renovation or you want to build a house or you want to go to a bank to get finance to do a development. So quantity surveyors, our special skill set is construction cost estimating. There's no other There's no other industry that's better qualified to estimate construction costs. Um, yeah, so anything around... Um, Estimating construction, that's a big part of it. Of course, post-construction, we're doing things like replacement cost estimates for insurance. And probably the thing that people would see more uh, advertised and as a property investor is the tax depreciation side of things. And and that's really my sort of special skill set on the resi and commercial and industrial side. And and the advantage of, of a tax depreciation schedule for a property investor could be simply put as you pay less tax. So when you buy a property, it has a couple of different components in it. There's the land and then there's the improvements to the to the property. So we don't provide a market valuation which includes land. We're only looking at what was the cost to build, what was there as at the date that it was built. And then you can claim deductions based on the wear and tear of the structure and then the fixtures and fittings inside where they qualify. And so essentially, it's just a report. I laughed to someone the other day. I said I'm basically in the PDF business, right? We just we just sell PDFs, right? PDF reports, you know. Um, and this 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 tax depreciation PDF. I mean, we can give you a printed one if you want, but it's mostly PDFs. It just says in this year for this property you've got $11,000 worth of tax deductions, for example. And if you're on 100k, you're going to pay. 24 grand of tax. If you're on 89k, which is 100 minus that 11, you're going to pay about 20 grand of tax. Obviously, the marginal rates all change. Do your own research, but that's about a four thousand dollar saving for a six or seven hundred dollar report. So that's the power of depreciation. Yeah, that's fantastic. And when should actually people get the depreciations and reports done? I always say today or yesterday if you can if you can manage it. The the reason why is because we from when we started we collected data pretty forensically because I wanted to tell stories about property investing in Australia and and personally I was sick of quantity surveyors saying on average we get 5 to 10,000 dollars worth of deductions. I'm like, "Well, that's not an average, that's on range." So I started collecting that and once we got to a thousand reports, I said, well, on average, we get $9,183 and I shared two decimal places just to show that I was paying attention, right? So, so we've collected data from the, the date of the settlement to the point that people actually engage us to prepare a depreciation schedule and it's, and it's, and it's nearly four years on average that people wait. Now, if people don't know, you can actually back claim two financial years worth of deductions, right? But if you wait longer than that, you can miss out on those deductions and we found that 6.7% of all of our investors actually wait too long and the average amount that they lose is about $20,500. I think it's $537. That's a big chunk of cash and depending on your marginal rate, it could be six or eight grand out of their pocket. So that's why I say like don't put it off. 
talk to a quantity surveyor, get a free estimate. I'm pretty sure every quantity surveyor will give you a free estimate, right? It's not it's not like a sales pitch. It's like agents are still saying, you know, free market estimates in your street this Thursday. Ring them up, they'll come anytime, right? They want listings, right? We're, we're kind of the same. We're, you know, we'll do a free estimate. And, and, and I don't think that there are any quantity surveyors out there that would recommend a schedule that's not beneficial either. So it costs you nothing to look at it send it to someone like myself and say, here's my property. You can see basically all the information you need from a realestate.com listing. Is it worthwhile doing it? Yes, no. And if it's yes, then you know, do it, right? Because it's paying you more than what it costs. It's a pretty good product to sell, right? Coming up after the break, we hear Mike Monklock's tips on depreciation. We recommend uh, basically getting it at settlement and, and often like before the tenants move in uh, is a great time. It's just one of those things, you know, you're doing your pests and your building pre-settlement, get it done straight away. His biggest driving factor for delving into property investment. The goal really um, evolved to being more about the freedom. Like I mentioned before, um, just the ability to do anything that that I want to do as a passion project and and be able to provide for for the family as well. And that's next. I'm Tyrone Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. He goes on to further explain whether you should organize the depreciation schedule shortly after settlement of a property and whether you need to update it regularly. We recommend uh, basically getting it at settlement and and often like before the tenants move in uh, is a great time. It's just one of those things, you know, you're doing your pests and your building pre-settlement, get it done straight away. The main reason why we used to say that is because it was taking a snapshot of the property and if things changed over time, say you ripped some things out, you might be able to claim scrapping on those assets. Because of the legislation changes in May 2017, that kind of old system doesn't really work anymore but I still recommend people get it done straight away just so it's not something that they forget and that they don't become one of those statistics I was talking about before. There was a lady in our study who bought an apartment off the plan who waited 16 years to contact us and I would estimate that's about $65,000 worth of missed deductions. and that, you know, that sort of stuff keeps me up at nights, you know, like I have nightmares about Mr. That maybe shows I've got a bit of a sad life. But, um, but yeah, you, and, and once you get a depreciation schedule, you don't need to update it every year. Um, pre- pretty much um, a, a depreciation schedule, all the major companies will do a 40-year schedule. That's really the maximum life of a, of a built structure. So, so say a brand new building has a 40-year effective life. That's why we do 40-year schedules. And you wouldn't need to update that report unless you're doing major renovations. So if you add like a split system air conditioner, there's no estimating required. You can give that to your accountant, say I bought it on this date for this month and they can plug it in. Or a lot of companies will do free updates if it's one or two items as well. We certainly do that. In a situation, I'm asking this for myself as well, if I had a property which I've recently renovated and I didn't do a depreciation schedule, Will there actually be a big change in terms of that? Because I'm just wondering, have I potentially missed out, say, a year's worth of depreciation that hasn't been affected after and then after the renovations? That may change as well. It's a very, very good question. 
It 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 depends. <laughs> it's always annoying to have to give an answer like that. But I, but I'll 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 make it brief. If you've spent say a hundred grand on Renaults, the total depreciation that we can claim over the life of that improvement is a hundred grand. Right? We can't get you more money. But if you spend a hundred grand and it includes carpets, blinds, oven, cooktop, range hood, hot water system, then those are plant and equipment assets that depreciate at a higher rate. So you want to tease those out, apply those higher percentages. Otherwise, instead of waiting 40 years to get your deductions back, you might be getting all of that money within eight years or in some cases one year, right? So that's the real value. Like because people might buy a brand new house and uh, or build a brand new house. And they say to me, why do I need you to estimate the construction cost when it says here on my contract? But it doesn't say that you got $4,000 worth of carpet or $1,800 worth of cooktop. And, and builders don't tend to itemize major renovations based on the Commissioner of Taxation's effective life categories from TR 2019-4, right? That's not their special skill. So if you know what you're doing and you know, okay, well, it's going to have these plant and equipment items in it, and there's really only two pages of legislation in that document I just mentioned that are plant and equipment, you could actually say to your builder, how much have you spent on this? But then on top of that, we can actually include them as total installed costs. So if you're paying $800 for your cooktop, that might just be buying the item, not paying for an appropriately qualified person to install that. So that's where it becomes problematic. So I would say if it's a bigger renovation or you don't have a breakdown of those things, then it's worthwhile getting a report. But a good quantity surveyor should be able to help you through that determination. And I relish the opportunity to turn people away because they end up becoming raving fans because that you've done something honest. You said, go away, I can't help you with this because like, I can't sleep with myself. I can't, I can't live with myself um, if I'm charging you for this and I'm not doing any value. And they'll come back and say, oh, well, what about this? You know, they're almost excited to, to give you money. It's kind of a weird thing, right? And you know, I thought everyone was like that in business, but you know, there's people out there that just aren't doing the right thing by people. That happens. You know, it's always that five percent or whatever it is that's out there that just doesn't do the right thing, and it makes a bad name for you know the rest of the industry, unfortunately. But yeah, no, definitely, it's it's fascinating to be able to hear that, and I hope that that value for listeners out there would actually be yeah be able to get them to look at depreciation. Um, because it's it's such a big, big component that doesn't really get talked about very much. I mean, we talk about the finance, we talk about where to buy property, we talk about renovations and structuring, but we never seem to go into too much about coin surveying because it's not a topic that people actually go, huh, something we need to do. But I think it should be standard after settlement that they do that because, man, there's so many deductions that can be claimed. It's only after the account look and the financial you go, oh, Where's your tax depreciation schedule? If you follow me on LinkedIn or Facebook, you can't get away from tax depreciation legislation. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you're, you're right. We don't talk about I talk about it all the time and done that for about 15 years, but, you know, not everyone's paying attention because it's, it's boring, right? And that's a real challenge for me is to take tax legislation um, and make it something that people want to listen to. But a better way to pitch it is sort of like free money. I don't think Facebook would allow sort of advertising like that. Um, but yeah, it's not mandatory. But if you don't do it, you're going to pay more tax than you need to. So so that's why you should, you, you don't have to learn everything about it, but you should know what it is and have a person. I know you always talk about um, property investing being a team sport. Someone on your team should be a quantity surveyor. 
Mortlock delves into the reason why he started investing as well as building his business. With property, um, it started off as, as one of those things, you know, like we've talked about before, people just kind of think, oh, well, you know, buying property, that's a good thing, right? And I should do good things because that's what you're supposed to do, right? You know, buying a property is planning for your future and putting more super away is, is good and all that sort of stuff. So I didn't have a, a tremendous amount of sophistication behind it in the beginning um, to be honest there's an argument to say I still don't now but after after seeing the results of investors that are you know coming back and buying multiple things and you know you you can look at stuff that they've bought and you're thinking like wow that's like way under market value and I certainly saw heaps of that stuff with fund managers that buy a building for 16 million dollars and five years ago it was sold for 22 and you're like wow I guess you just kind of wait um, renegotiate a couple of leases and there's your few million bucks and that kind of was interesting to me but it, the, the the goal really um, evolved to being more about the freedom like I mentioned before um, just the ability to do anything that that I want to do as a passion project and and be able to provide for, for the family as well and, and I'm just passionate about helping people unfortunately I'm not clever enough to sort of be a heart surgeon or anything like that um, my special skill is helping people um, save on tax and yeah that's that's boring and it's not going to win me a Nobel Peace Prize but I like to see myself as a small part of people trying to do the, the same thing most investors want to get into property because they want to be able to spend more time with their family or take them on a holiday like I think it's kind of like an altruistic thing it's not it's not that sort of typical viewpoint of the greedy landlord I I don't believe that rhetoric so I just see myself as a small part of of helping people to achieve their their financial goals. He goes on to talk about the kinds of resources that have helped him along his journey. Being in the property game sort of day in, day out, I don't consume a lot of property media to be honest. Like I have a lot of property friends and I read their stuff and interact with them and comment and that sort of stuff. But for people that are outside of the the property game and and if I wasn't in property, I would be consuming this sort of stuff. Like there's definitely a a lot of really good podcasts out there um, such as the one we're on right now. So if you're listening to this, I think you're on the right track and I'd encourage people to go through the back catalogue as well. And you can find your own guru there so like podcasts like yours give you, you yourself and it gives people an opportunity to find someone that they relate to like I like their sort of drive and their mission and their strategy or their approach and I think you can find those people and and everyone's punching out quite a lot of content so you can follow these people and I'd encourage people to reach out as well like when I started I kind of thought you know these people are on a pedestal and you know it's a bit like you know don't don't look Brad Pitt directly in the eye because he has a tantrum or something that's unfair to Brad but you know the prima I've got no idea what he's like of course but you know I kind of thought it might be a little bit like that um so yeah I would definitely recommend your podcast you know I listen to the elephant in the room stuff as well um, the planner, the professor, and the buyer's agent. I always get that name wrong. Um, but <laughs> but th- those guys are a are, are good, um, good resource as well. Um, I follow Pete Warge and stuff. He's a daily blogger. He's abs- he absolutely loves it. He's, he's a crazy person, and a good, fr- good friend of mine. Um, and, you know, there's, there's plenty of good books out there as, as well. So um, it's not hard to find stuff to, to plug in there. And fr- from like a, I guess, a business mindset sort of thing, I'm 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 sort of pretty self self driven, so I don't um, 
I guess I, I like sort of the factual learning stuff. So I'll I'll sort of think, oh, you know, Sunday afternoon, I've got to, I really want to learn JSON because I want to figure out if we can pass an API from our back end of our software or something. I know I'm probably I'm probably speaking your language. I'm not actually capable of of writing JSON yet, but you know. Give me, give me a bit of time. But like I've been, uh, you know, getting into some of the Gary V stuff. It's he's like he's not my style, but there's some really interesting stuff that he's he's got out there. You know, I've just read um, Extreme Ownership, and that really resonated with with me as well. And you know, just looking at at people that I kind of. Uh, I find quite inspiring. Like I read Elon Musk's biography, and yeah, there's a lot of kooky stuff going on with that dude. But the way that he is, is disciplined and driven. Like when people say, "Oh, my mission is to grow my business," you know, to ten million dollars or whatever. His mission is to put people on Mars. If he had some time to reflect on his past self ten years ago. We find out what he would have said to himself. Maybe like 10 years ago, I think I was on the straight and narrow. Um, I started I started the business about 10 years ago. So, you know, like I was, I was pretty keen to give it a red hot go. But I, I probably would have said to myself to be patient and to celebrate the wins. So in, in business, I've kind of set a bar to achieve thinking like that would be amazing if we did that and then sort of get there and the amazement dissipates and you look at the next one and that kind of that's not a real good psychological approach and i got to the point where i needed to sort of calm down and i took up a hobby of like growing chili plants and then it seemed like in an afternoon i had 76 different plants of like 18 different species and they were all catalogued and i had the top 10 artists in the in the world i'm like this is not why i started doing it that's exactly the wrong thing you've gone and done this again you know <laughs> so I think just to calm down a bit and 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 celebrate the the wins. That's great advice. Yeah, hindsight's always good too. <laughs> Going back like fifteen or twenty years, I would say like, what are you doing, son? Like, get off your backside. I, I think like because I had a certain dream that got smashed, I, I just became a little bit sort of rudderless and you know was just you know drinking too much and having fun and doing all that sort of stuff, which which I think everyone should do. It's a bit of a rite of passage, right? Um, not advocating binge drinking. I don't want to get in trouble. But um, I, I just I think I, I needed to say to myself, all right, well, like, sure, have a little bit of fun, but results kind of compound. So if you, if you start doing something now, you're going to be so much further down the track in 10 years than if you start in five years. So I'd probably give myself an uppercut and a couple of curse words. Hey, actually, I didn't get to ask you, and this kind of just triggered my memory about fighter pilot. What inspired you to want to become a, a fighter pilot? Just I always really was um, was impressed with aviation, like just absolutely loved it. I, I don't know what it was, but it just sort of seemed like the extreme sort of personification. That's not the right term, but it was freedom, right? It was it was just freedom, and and I and I really sort of got into the to the military style stuff. Like I really sort of bought into the you know I guess the brothership and brotherhood and all that sort of stuff, and and you know the technical side of things. I, I ended up like learning all of the different um, you know power to weight ratios and operational ceilings for Russian jets, and just I consumed all the data and that sort of stuff, and I just kind of thought. Like that is cool. Like if I if I could achieve that as a as a goal, like I would be like, yeah, Mike, you've you've done this. Like, well done, son. 
Never too late. <laughs> I think it almost certainly is. I don't know if I'd fit in a seat right now, but but I mean, like, I, I'm I'm really quite happy doing what what I'm doing. I mean, I, I think I'd alienate people saying that I'm passionate about tax legislation. Um, it's not that. It's it's more working with with the people and working with the great team and and my business partner and and the guys that we've got here and and the referrers that put their faith in us. Like, I I have a blast and I never wake up thinking, oh. Christ, that thing again. Um, so, while ever that's the case, then I'm enjoying it. Last question for you: How much do you think your success is due to your skill, intelligence, and hard work, and how much of it is because of luck? That's a good question. I I, I don't really feel um, super lucky. I don't feel like anything's fallen in my lap. Like you think from a business point of view, there could be someone that rings up and says, you know, Mike. You know, you're a you're a great guy. Here's all my work, and I own Western Australia. You know, like nothing like that has has happened before. Um, but you know, there's there. I I would I would really like to to sort of say that life is one big lottery, really. Like just being born. Like I don't want to talk about um, the mechanics of of um, family planning and that sort of stuff. Um, different sort of show. Um, but, you know, your odds of being born are, are so low and, and, you know, the odds of being born um, in, a, in a country like Australia and sure, like there were people richer than us but I had a, a, ch- a happy childhood. We didn't have much but we had enough, you know, I had the opportunities to go to school. So there's, there's an, a, an amazing amount of luck to just be born with the, the privilege that I, that I have. Other than that, I wouldn't say that it's like skill or any particular intelligence. I don't think I'm a genius by by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm bloody competitive. You know, like if you want to go to the mailbox, I'll race you, you know, and and that's why I had too many chili plants and that's why I think we've been able to, to grow the business. Of course, I'm just one part of that. But yeah, I think it's more just bloody mindedness and, and discipline and competitiveness. Thank you to Mike Mortlock, our guest on this episode of Property Investory. If you want to hear more about his journey and get a copy of the show notes on the website, head over to propertyinvestory.com forward slash notes. The show notes will give you the inside scoop on the little gold nuggets of wisdom all our guests share from the backstory and overall strategies and philosophies. Plus, you'll get a copy of the advice broken down and shared in a quick and easy to consume format. Just head over to propertyinvestory.com forward slash notes and download it today. Thanks for listening. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tapiphone.